Anybody have an anthem song? Mr. B would not like that. He would 
And then we'll focus on 6 through 9 in its proper context. So this morning we're reading from the ESV. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is it. Evidence marker number one. That Peter is offering high praise to who? <coughs> to God the Father. That's what Peter's purpose is here. What's the next line? According to his great mercy. That's evidence number two. That Peter is focused on uh, describing the mercy of God. On demonstrating the mercy of God and elaborating on the mercy of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, Though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Having read verse 6 through 9 in its proper context, I'd like to ask you guys now to read verse 6 as we focus on the portion of the text for today. So can you guys read this out loud for me, please? In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you would have been free by various trials. I don't know about you guys, but I find it very interesting that Peter offers us no details in connection to these various trials. Does anyone else find that interesting? I mean, I'm a detail guy. If you were with us for the Ruth series, you know that when it comes to the text, I'm all about the details. I'm like, Peter, what is it that the church in Pontus, in Galatia, in Cappadocia, in Bithynia, in Asia, what is it that they're experiencing? What are they facing? What are they forced to walk through that they wish wasn't happening? Give me the details, bro. And he's like, at this point in the letter, Matt, you get nothing from me. <laughs> Talk to me about the trials, Peter. What well, he says, it's various. It's very different, right? The spectrum of trials is so large. Now, New Testament scholar Daryl Charles writes that Peter accomplishes two things in the withholding of the details. So he has a purpose in what he's doing. First, he notes that whatever the trials may be, Ethan nailed it, 
They're diverse and varied, which means they're generic in nature, which means trials come in many shapes, forms, and sizes. And they are non-discriminatory. They don't care who you are. They're ready to hit you when? Out of nowhere. It's like, what? Where did this come from? Second, he points out that trials are to be expected. As human beings, we should not only anticipate the trials of life, we should expect them at any moment. He goes on to make the claim that both suffering and trials are neither ascribed directly to God, nor are they viewed as detrimental to one's faith. These are important facts. They are not ascribed directly to God as the source, and they're not viewed as detrimental to one's faith, which means that verse 6 has already taught us four important things. What have we learned already? When we look at that, at that at verse 6, we learn first that these trials are diverse in nature. Remember, trials are non-discriminatory. They're here to get you. There's no way around it. We will experience them. Trials are to be expected. Anticipation and expectation are different things. We should do both. We should anticipate and expect. The author does not name God as the source of the trials. So what does that mean? When God is not the source of the trial, when he's not the cause of the trial, by proxy, he is allowing it in our lives. So we have a couple options if God is allowing us to experience a trial. Spiritual warfare, it could be the enemy. It could be. He is out there prowling around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. Peter, if it's not the enemy, you know, human beings have the propensity to do evil. So maybe it's just human beings doing what comes most naturally to them as they direct their evil behavior toward God's bride, the church. Maybe we make the trials up in our own heads. Maybe they don't even exist. Maybe we're so bent on worshiping something that isn't God that we create trauma in our own lives. We make up a trial because we want to be the center of attention, and then we fall like prey to this delusion that I'm in this trouble, and my life is so terrible. And we become our own worst enemy. So we have to remember that when God is not the source, He's allowing it, and there are different ways that He allows us to experience trials. For these trials are not detrimental to the faith of believers. Remember that trials in life have purpose and function, and that is to produce in us the eternal way of glory. What we lack, we gain through experience. We said last week, God could supernaturally just, boom, give us some wisdom. Very rarely does that happen. He is known to be Emmanuel, God with us. He walks with us through the trial. And when we come out on the other side, we're giving him glory and praise for making us stronger than we were when we started. Amen? Every trial is an opportunity to rely on the Lord. 100%. It is an opportunity to say that again. It's a what? Every trial is an opportunity to rely more on the Lord. Amen. We grow in a greater dependence on him in the midst of a trial. Now, I don't care who you are. Verse 6 is a tough pill to swallow. 
Nobody's like, this is my favorite verse in the Bible. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I should just say generally speaking, right? Rejoice! Rejoice! Peter, are you serious? You know, there's a couple ways to view this. Some people think that he's giving an imperative, a command. That you must rejoice even when you are grieved. That's one view of interpreting this verse. I'm not really a fan of that view, but you can hold that if it's yours. I'm more a fan of the fact that we have the capacity to rejoice because we know what lies in our future. Yeah. And because we know what God has for us in the future, an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled, because we have that, and we know that it is secure with Christ and with Christ alone, because we know that we have that, we can say, I will rejoice. But not right now. Because right now sucks. Right? Job was not dancing in the midst of his trials. He was scraping his skin. He had donned his sackcloth. He was sitting in ashes. That is not indicative of rejoicing. But he knew that his Redeemer lived. And in the end, he chose to rejoice. So if we need an example, it's right there in the text. Now raise your hand. If your default reaction to lifestyle is joy. I think verse 6 had me thinking a lot this week. Verse 6 had me thinking a whole lot this week. Does anyone actually rejoice while being grieved by various trials? And then it dawned on me. Athletes understand the concept that's embedded in this portion of the text. They do. Athletes know what Peter's getting at here. Now we can talk about Olympic athletes, or we can talk about like our favorite MMA fighter, but today I'm going to talk about David Garnett's Jeff Sutton. Most of us know him. Now I've gotten to know David pretty well over the last few years, and it's been a blessing in my life. But what I can tell you about David to be true. Because I bet dollars to dimes he knows exactly what Peter's getting after right here. Because David sacrificed the majority of his life to willfully enter into an arena where he was forced to exist in a life that experienced trials. His experience, he actually bears in his body today the marks of his trials. He does. He's younger than me and his body is more jacked up than mine. But here's the deal. He had a face like flint. He had a goal in mind. And he knew that if he stayed loyal to the cause, one day he might potentially be able to rejoice. How would David rejoice? Well, he would don the jersey and represent the, U the University of Southern California as a Trojan on the football field. He would do his part to play on the line to support the team as they pursued victory. David knows what this means. To endure, to rejoice, knowing what the future may potentially hold. All the while, experiencing pain that lasts. You can feel that. It's not just athletes that understand this concept. Of. Has anyone ever seen the television show Survivor? Yeah. <laughs> If you're not a Survivor fan, have you ever watched the television show Alone? 
us alone, right? These people endure some crazy things. Women! Athletes and competitors exemplify one of the basic facts of life. Humans can endure just about anything so long as they have something to look forward to. It's true. The soldier on the battlefield is most often motivated by the memory of home. I can say this with full confidence. I have over two years combat experience in two different countries fighting on many different battlefields alongside many different men and women. I can tell you that on the battlefield, the soldier is most often motivated by the memory of home. He's looking forward to the joy that he may experience if he makes it back alive. The rigors which the athlete, the competitor, and the soldier has to endure, these things are not meant to make them collapse. Rather, they're meant to make them able to develop the strength that's necessary to carry the mission on. It's building stay. William Barclay writes that in this world, listen to this, in this world, trials are not meant to take the strength out of us. Rather, they are intended to put the strength into us. Trials are meant to function as tests. And this becomes absolutely clear when you read verse 6 in the context of verse 7. Can you guys read verse 6 and 7 out loud for me, please, as soon as it comes up on the slide? Can you guys read that, please? In this he rejoiced, though now for a little while, if it be necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genius under the gate, more precious than gold, that perishes through the world is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Will inevitably test one's character. 
They will. This is why Peter encourages those who are suffering. And he encourages them by reminding them of their what? Their future hope. Their inheritance which has been laid up in Christ. That which is undefiled and imperishable. True or false? Quick question. True or false? It's easier to endure suffering when we remember that it's only temporary. I give you a practical example of this. Every Wednesday morning, my wife and I take a group fitness class together. It's great. The lady who runs it absolutely destroys us. Week after week without fail. We're in there. Busting out air squats. And she's just like, keep going. My goodness. I just want to quit. All I need is a break for one second. But as soon as she starts to go, eight, seven, six, five. This game is only temporary. I'm going to get to one again.
Suffering well is difficult. And I'm not talking about suffering well individually. I'm talking about suffering well corporately. Putting the needs of the group before your own, because that's what you need to do. That's my prayer. That you learn suffering. That's my prayer. That you learn suffering. Because the ultimate purpose of suffering functions to bring about praise and honor. Glory at the and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. That's what Peter says. We must understand that in the end, God we must understand that in the end, God will vindicate His people. We have faith will. that God will vindicate. We have faith that God will. We also trust that He will command. We also trust that He will command those who know His voice and follow. Those who know His voice and follow. We believe that. God will confer we believe that God will confer blessing upon the faithful. We know that He will reward the faithful. We know that He will reward the faithful with the crown of glory. And we know that He will exalt His people. And we know that He will exalt His people at the proper time. All five of these statements come out of this one letter. As followers of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, the fire of life. We need to embrace the fire of life. As followers of Jesus. We are as followers of Jesus. We are required to embrace the fire of life because it is the which witness test, which will prove the genuineness of one's faith, revealing whether or not one's faith is truly authentic. Trust me. And trust me. Everyone in this room will have the opportunity to experience their own Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you are truly faithful, you will not only enter into the fire, but you'll pass through it, coming out on the other end of it, not even That's what genuine faith produces. The call of the apostle is the call of the apostle is without a doubt to persevere. Holy focus. He's holy focus. On perseverance. Again and again, we are reminded that Peter is focused less on the present and more on the future. He speaks of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Thomas Schein writes that verse 7 concludes with the hope that animates believers. What is the hope that animates believers? It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is his second coming when he returns in the fullness of his glory to consummate the kingdom that he inaugurated in his life, death, and resurrection. That's what Peter's getting after. That's what Peter's getting after. The second coming. The glorious second coming. When God's going to reconcile all wrongs and reward the righteous. Everything that we've just discussed, everything that we've just discussed becomes crystal clear when we choose to read verse 6 and 7 in the greater context of verse 8 and 9. Can you guys read verse 8 and 9 aloud? Anybody just seen the risen 
suffering in the reality that suffering is those who suffer well, glory. Those who suffer well, are you suffering well? Then your salvation is assured. If you're not suffering well, if you're not suffering well, press in. Good or Don't do Stay fast. Don't do armor. Peter's hammer on the reality. Peter's hammer is on the reality that suffering is the precursor of the How do we suffer? Which begs the question how do we suffer, church? Do we suffer well? Do we suffer well? I'm not wondering. I'm not wondering here. I'm looking in the mirror if I'm talking to Do we suffer well? At this point in the letter, the Apostle Peter. At this point in the letter, the Apostle Peter has been clear on three very important realities. First, God's protection is experienced through faith. That's first Peter chapter one. Second, faith is proven. Faith is proven through the refining fire of trials. If you stand, the witness comes to be genuine, and you prove to be genuine. Thank you. 
brother who you've seen, then you cannot love God when you have not seen him. That's what the New Testament calls the rest. Be holy as God is holy is another way to say remain faithful from whatever man. Just as God is otherworldly and set apart, our lives in this world are supposed to be otherworldly and set apart. The world should look at us and see something different in us. And if it cannot, there is issue. The goal is to remain faithful come whatever man. As the world continues to grow in its hostility toward the bride of Christ, then it will continue to grow hostile. We need to be reminded of one thing. Life's trials have purpose. It is in the fire of life that we are tested. And the hope of being tested is that in the end we will prove our genuineness, knowing that the outcome of genuine faith is the salvation of our souls. Thank you.